this week <laughs> was a really interesting week trying to prepare a sermon. Usually what would happen is that I would pick up where Pastor David left off and that would be, you know, planned and we know he, he kind of gives the intro on first Sunday and then I pick it up on the next Sunday and, and put more flesh to it. And so I, could, I didn't, I said, no, I'm not going to start preparing because I know that whatever I would say, I won't, I can't possibly know what to say until after Tuesday. And then Tuesday came and I was like, I don't know what to say at all. So I am going to invite you all, as I am preaching, to be listening and also to be praying for me, because I will need you all to pray me through this sermon. I have to say to you that one of the reasons why it was difficult for me to figure out what I'm going to say is because I didn't want to, um, I don't want to sound trite this morning. I don't want to say something that may be true but may just not be what, what we're ready to hear. I can tell you what my process was. So I have to tell you, I am thankful that our, our pastor is a prophetic man, that God speaks through him and he is obedient. Because last Sunday, I am positive, was God's way of preparing us for Tuesday. And all Tuesday, I kept just, that as it got closer and closer, as the map looked Redder, <laughs> redder, and I kept thinking, well, no, any, it, it could turn around. It, it, yeah, no, look, at they keep looking at those little counties on CNN. It could turn around. I kept hearing those words in my head. What happens if God is leading us into a wilderness? And what does that wilderness look like? And so when it became inevitable, for me at least, I know people were still trying to, they didn't announce till like 4 o'clock in the morning, but I was very clear by midnight that I was clear at 11, but I held on for another hour. By midnight, I was absolutely certain, all right, this man won. This is a new day. And I, I was praying up until that point. I kept trying to pray for the election, kept trying to pray for God to turn it around. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, that's not the prayer. That's not the prayer. And no matter how hard I tried, God turned it around. I kept hearing the Holy Spirit say, that's not the prayer. And so I started to pray for Donald Trump as our president. And so I laid in my bed, and I'm sure if I had been able to take my blood pressure, it would have been the highest it's ever been. And I felt my whole entire body tingling, and I felt like, oh, my gosh, I had a pit in my stomach. And I felt that way for maybe five minutes. And then I took a deep breath. And I felt like it's, it, it's okay. We're, we're okay. It's going to be okay. And so when I started trying to write this sermon, I'm thinking about, well, what happened? How did we get here? How, where are we? And I was thinking about all of these things, and I just I didn't want to sound trite. Because if I'm honest with you this morning, I don't feel anxious. If I'm honest with you this morning, I don't fear anything. I'm not afraid. I don't think that the country is going to be ruined, but even if it is, I am confident that we are okay, that we, the people of God, will be okay. I cannot say to you that the country will not be destroyed. I cannot say to you that things will absolutely not get as bad as we could possibly imagine they would get, but what I can say to you is that I am confident that God is still sovereign. I am confident that wherever we are is where we need to be. And so I know that it will be okay. That doesn't mean it will feel good. 
It doesn't mean it will be great. It doesn't mean things will work out the way we want them to work out. It means that we will be okay. Because we are still in the hand of God. And absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen. So on this morning, the passage that I want to speak to you from is from Psalm 23. And this is what came to me as I really thought about what it means to be in the wilderness. What does it mean if this is the place that we have been led into? Here's some things that are true. There's not much different today than there was on Monday. The difference is that now we see very plainly what we are, who we are, what our country is. Many of us, especially those of us who live in blue Chicago, we have been able to live in these bubbles. We have been able to convince ourselves that it's not that bad. Oh, yeah, there's some people out there who are inhospitable to immigrants. Okay, there's some people out there who are a little bit racist, sexist, misogynist. But, you know, most people, that's just not the case. We could not believe that our country would say, no, we're cool with it. And so today we feel like what happened? Nothing has changed except that some scales have fallen from our eyes and we can see ourselves as we truly are. I'm going to read for you this passage. It is not going to come on the board because, on the board, Lord, on the screen, because I went through like five different scriptures before I got to this one. And so this is where we settled. So this is not what's in the teleprompter. There is no teleprompter. Lord, help me. Okay, so I'm going to invite you to stand up <laughs> as I read this word. <laughs> Shake off this election season. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'll, again, I'll be reading Psalm 23, and it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God. Amen. You can have a seat. So this is probably a very familiar passage to, to anyone here who is a Christian. It, it may be a familiar passage if you're not a Christian. I know um, this is one, at least the first part, the Lord is my shepherd. I knew that even when I wasn't a Christian. It's kind of, it's in movies. It's all over the place. I think that these are beautiful words, and they're words that can be comforting regardless of whether your experience with sheep is limited to petting zoos. Um, You can still hear these words and be comforted by them. But what I I want to do today is really dig into this, and I want to dig into it from the perspective of David, because um, who was a shepherd, and who knew a little bit about actual shepherding and actual sheep. Because I think that if we have just a little bit of that back knowledge, these words mean even more. 
So just as a disclaimer, I am one of the people whose limited experience of sheep is watching my children play with them in pettings. So I don't know anything about being a shepherd or sheep. But there's Google. Thank God for Google. Amen. So a lot of what I will be talking to you about will come from information that I gained um, online. Just kind of looking at, I went to 4-H club websites. I was all over the place. Lord, teach me about sheep. Because I have to know, like, there's a reason for this metaphor. If you think about it, the war, that animal, the sheep, the lamb, that is the most noted animal in all of Scripture. We are like sheep. God is our shepherd. And that's not just limited to this passage throughout scripture. And so I felt like, well, I, I, I want to know something about this animal. So that is what we're going to do. We're going to dig in a little bit and we're going to see what the Lord would have for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So here's some interesting information about sheep. If you're like me, when you hear those words, a picture that will come into your head is cute little sheep sort of lying in a nice green field, and you imagine, like, them out doing whatever they do. Um, If you've seen little pictures in, in Bible study books for kids, you'll see, like, the lamb, and usually Jesus is sitting there, always white Jesus with his staff, and then there's, like, little lamb laying at his feet, right? So that's, like, the image that will come to your mind. So, so fun fact, sheep don't just lie down, right? So to get a sheep to lie down, there's some things that are required. A sheep will not lie down if it is hungry, It will not lie down if it is in an environment where it's kind of fearful. It will not lie down if it's in a space where there is kind of anxiety or strife within among the other sheep. Um, All of these things will prevent a sheep from lying down. Another fun fact about sheep and green pastures. One of the best environments to raise sheep, apparently, they do very well in, in hot, dry climates. Um, that's part of the reason why so many people were shepherds in, in Palestine. If you think about the places where David would have been shepherding, the place where he may have been sitting when he was writing this scripture and when he was looking over his sheep or when he was reflecting on his time as a shepherd, these weren't like green, lush places. The spaces where sheep do best are actually dry, arid, kind of rocky spaces. So for a sheep to lie down in green pasture, a whole lot of things have to happen. First of all, there has to be a pasture. A good shepherd would go into these dry, rocky, arid places, and they would till the soil, and they would plant seed. Pastures don't just happen. They are made. So in the midst of rocky, barren, desolate One might say wilderness land, a good shepherd could go in and create a space for the sheep. Still waters in those places don't just happen. They are made. A good shepherd would often irrigate the space or create some sort of a a water source so that the sheep could lie down, so that the sheep could be well fed, so that the sheep could rest. Another thing about sheep that I found fascinating, apparently they are not these like nice, sweet, humble little animals that we all, maybe you didn't, but that I thought they were. 
Sheep can be lo- very little nasty buggers with each other, apparently. So from everything that I read, it said that in, in communities, right, part of the reason why sheep won't lie down is because they, if they feel like they have to protect their space. So you might get um, a sheep that's, you know, maybe a little bolder, a little older, a little more, you know, savvy. That's probably not a good word. But uh, that sheep can, if they see another young sheep that has a good space of grass, they'll just sort of bump them out the way and kind of take it. So people describe them as jealous, which I also don't think is a good word, but we understand what that means, right? That they, they can kind of push each other around and they want to claim their own space. And so in those situations, sheep will never lie down because they feel like they're on edge. They always have to be making sure that somebody's not going to come over and move them. So a good shepherd will know his sheep and his sheep will know him so that when that shepherd is present, they're not anxious. Just his presence can calm all of that anxiety. So I thought about this a lot. If you and I are like sheep, and this is our wilderness, what this election has made very clear is that we're not as kind and nice as we thought we were. We're a little nasty with each other. One of the things that has happened over the course of the last few years is that there have been different things that have opened different people's eyes up to who we are, and it's been happening slowly. It's been happening sometimes not so slowly. We've had Black Lives Matter that has erupted out of police brutality. We've seen over the course of this this election ugly language about immigrants and Muslims. And we've heard about incidents of hate and violence and ugliness. Part of what has happened in our country is that we don't talk to one another. What we have done is become further entrenched in our own bubble of whatever we think is wrong and whatever we think is right. If we care about racism, if we care about sexism, if we care about the other, we have been entrenched in seeing sometimes only that. And people who don't see those things are either stupid, people who don't see those things are racist, people who don't see those things are easy to dismiss. And we have dismissed them. And on the other side, You have folk who have been emboldened because this election has allowed them to give voice to things they felt on the inside for a very long time. There are white folk in our country who have been angry for a very long time. They have felt like they're being displaced. They have felt like they're tired of hearing those people talk about that issue. Those people who get those handouts who are always complaining. Those victims who have a victim mentality. It's so funny. We're all victims, right? Everybody's always complaining. But we have forgotten how to talk to one another. And it's one thing when that happens in the world. But unfortunately, that has happened in the church. Very early on, one of the first groups to endorse Donald Trump when he was at the height of his ugliness was the evangelical church. Now, it says something to you when both the Klan and the evangelical church endorsed the same candidate. <laughs> oh, Jesus. We have stopped talking to one another. My godmother, I spoke to her um, this weekend, and she said that, um, she said, I'm so sad 
because I'm afraid that the church has completely lost its witness. So how can we possibly witness to the lost? How could they ever respect anything we have to say? Because we have compromised on everything. And honestly, I don't know. I mean, if you're here today and you're like, Trump is my guy, amen, glory to you, pray, you know, praise him. But here's the thing that is undeniable, whether you like him or not, whether there are things that he says that you agree with or not, you cannot get away from the ugliness that was that campaign. You cannot get away from the things that came out of his mouth. And as the church, we cannot get away from the fact that many of us stood up and said, I don't care. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In order for there to be green pastures, that means a good shepherd would have prepared a space. Last week, Pastor David said that sometimes the wilderness is the space that we have been led into by God. I have to believe that this space is a space that we have been led into by God. Not just we in this room, the entire church. This is a space where we will see who we are. This is a space where we will see how we bump up against one another to protect our own little piece of grass. And this is a space where hopefully we will see our good shepherd. And it won't be enough to just see him. We have to see him in each and every one of us. Christ has already come in the flesh, and now his Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are Christ to each other. So what will it mean for the church to inhabit this space now? How do we talk to each other? How do we listen to each other? There are some things that I can be honest with you. On Monday, if you had said them to me, we could not have a conversation because I was entirely too raw to sit down and talk to someone or entertain some idea that I found to be stupid and hurtful. On Tuesday, my prayer was to, for God to move me past that. Now, on Sunday, I feel like I might be a little past that. On Monday, I may feel differently. So you got you know, pray with me. But we have to be in a space where even as we are raw and hurting, we figure out how to talk to one another and how to hear one another. Sheep thrive in the wilderness. They thrive there because that's the place where they are most dependent on their good shepherd. Can we thrive in this place? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So the rod and the staff are what's interesting here. David says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, these were tools that a shepherd would have, two tools. The staff was often a stick, and at the end of it, it would have kind of like a club sometimes, not a, like a little ball. That staff was used to protect the sheep. It was used to chastise the sheep. Probably don't chastise. Correct, that's a better word when we're talking about animals, right? The staff was used to make sure that if there were any other animals we're in the wilderness. If there are animals or threats to the sheep, that the, the shepherd could use that to beat them off. The shepherd could also use that staff on the, not the club, to poke the sheep, to prod the sheep, to let the sheep know it needs to move somewhere else, to stay together, not to wander off. The rod 
was something that the, sh the shepherd would hold and it was used to guide the sheep, to grab the sheep, to move them wherever they need to go. And David says that they both bring comfort. In the wilderness, we will be corrected. In this space, God will correct us. In the wilderness, God is always working to change the people of God. In the wilderness, God reveals who we are and he uses the word of God. He uses all that he has to chastise us, to chasten us, to correct us, to guide us, and ultimately to form us into his image. We see this throughout scripture. When the children of Israel were in the desert, why were they there? First of all, it does not take 40 years to get from Egypt into the promised land. But they had to be there, and when they were there, God showed them their heart. They were fearful, they were disobedient, they were untrusting, they were faithless. In the wilderness, that got worked out. Now, God said not nary a one will go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. In the wilderness, God used that space to weed out a generation of a slave mentality so that people were prepared to walk over into the thing that he had prepared for them. The wilderness is a place where God shows us who we are. When Jesus went into the wilderness, his humanity was tested and his perfection was proven. The wilderness is a place where we will be tested and the response, if we are the people of God, ought to be exactly what Jesus said. The wilderness is a place where you and I need to know the word. I love what Pastor David said. There's no interest in being a partisan church. If you are a Christian and you have become so fiercely tied to your political affiliation that you identify as a Democrat, you identify as a Republican, that's a problem. Our identity is as people of God. And in the wilderness, we ought to know what that word says so that we can measure anything, anything, any political party, any candidate against the word. In the wilderness, we have to have our eyes open. Because there are people for whom this new season will be extremely difficult. And some of those people may not be the people you expect. We have to know what God's word says. We have to be willing to see ourselves. We have to be willing to repent from our unrighteousness. We have to be willing to hear someone say, you have offended me, you have hurt me, and we have to be willing to take that into consideration. And that doesn't just stand for those of us who were on the other side of Trump's hate. It was difficult for me, this whole, I, got, I would get so irritated whenever I would watch the news and no one would want to say racism. And when Hillary Clinton made her statement about the baskets of deplorables, People came down on her and said that was, oh, you can't, call half, you can't call half of his people deplorable. And I will be honest with you, I thought, why not? They are deplorable. Like, that's deplorable. This man talks about <laughs> barring all Muslims from coming into the country. He's called an entire group of people rapists. <laughs> Mexico doesn't send their best. I mean, how, do you, how can you not say that that is deplorable? Every image that I saw at a Trump rally was someone holding up signs that said, Trump, that B-I-T-C-H. Like, wh why can't I say that is deplorable? Of course it's deplorable. Sure, half of them are. I was irritated that she didn't say all of them are deplorable. I was like, she said half. 
She put half of them in another basket. I mean, just, I'm being honest, I'm confessing to you my own, what I thought. And I'm, that was frustrating to me. Whenever people would talk about the fact that, oh, you can't say that a person is racist just because they support Trump. Why not? But here's the thing. You can't really say, well, no, you can. You can say. You can say what you want to say. I, I say lots of things. So, yes, you can say that. It is not helpful to dismiss people who supported Trump as simply racist or misogynist or xenophobic. Now, I will say, and if you are here and you supported him, then hear these words in love. If, if people who supported Trump, you clearly are not bothered by racism, xenophobia, and misogyny. But it's not fair to just dismiss people as those, that one thing. There are people who supported Trump because they are poor. They are frustrated. They look at their communities and they say, it is changing before me in ways that are too fast for me to deal with. There are people who supported Trump who are frustrated because they haven't had a job in years. They are seeing factories closed down in their town and they are irritated and they don't know what to do. There are a lot of people who supported Trump. Maybe a lot is, is, is stretching it. But there are a number of people who supported Trump who voted for Obama twice. And they voted for Obama for the same reason, because there are people in this country who are desperate for some kind of change, some kind of message of hope. Something needs to give. And here's the thing. People who voted for Hillary felt the same thing. A lot of us in this country who have now become at odds with each other, we actually feel the same thing. We're frustrated. We feel like something needs to change. Something has to give. Things aren't working the way they ought to work. The church ought to be a light in that situation. The church ought to be a space that reflects, hey, let me show you where your hope really should come from. But what has happened is that the church have got, has gotten just as sucked into it as everybody else. And instead of seeing our salvation and our hope in Jesus, we see it in whatever candidate we've decided is the one who will bring it. Hillary Clinton will be the one. Barack Obama will be the one. Donald Trump will be the one in some people's imagination, some way, somehow. In the wilderness, God will show us who we are. And we can't run from it. We can't resist it. We need to sit in this space with each other, see our brokenness, and pray for God to heal us. In the wilderness, our character will be tested. Just like Jesus' character was tested in the wilderness, we will be tempted. We will be tempted to be fearful. We will be tempted to be hateful. We will be tempted to run into our bubbles of safety. But in this space, we have got to stay on our faces before the Lord and seek his face and his direction. There are practical things that we have to be as a church. There are folk who are running around wearing um, safety pins today. I've, I've heard that this is a way of saying to people, particularly immigrants and Muslims, I've got your back, I'm with you, I'm a safe space. I think that's, I, that's cute. I think that's fantastic. You can wear a safety pin. What would be a great thing for the church to do is be the church. It would be fantastic if we could be the church so that people know that there is, in fact, a safe space. That might require us to do some things beyond just talking nicely, right? Like, 
This is a space that we're entering into where we may need to stand up and defend our brothers and sisters who may very well be persecuted in this wonderful new world we have found ourselves in. It's a space where we have to be aware of what people are going through. It's a space where we must be aware of the suffering of our brothers and sisters. And not just the kind of suffering that we are familiar with. We have to understand people's pain and have a word. Not our own word, but the word of God. And so we have to know it and we have to know each other. In the wilderness, God prepares a space for us because he is still the good shepherd. Nothing changed about God on Tuesday morning. He remains sovereign. He remains good. The purposes that he has for your life are still those things. His promises are still yes and amen. Nothing changed on Tuesday about God. Hopefully some things will change about us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So um, I had to tell my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's like freaking out about the election. Um, I, I didn't, like the, the pit I had in my stomach on Tuesday night, like on those week when it was coming in, Wednesday, I guess Wednesday morning, was how do I talk, like what am I going to say to Hadassah, who's like, I now have to tell her that Donald Trump is president. How do I do that? Because she was, a, I didn't want her to be fearful, and she had, she had shown signs that she was fearful. And I also didn't want to say to her something that, was, that I couldn't be sure was true. So I didn't want to say to her, like, well, the things that you might be fearful of are not going to happen. Because I, I could not, I, I have no idea what will happen. And I can tell you this, I don't put anything past the good people of these United States of America. So I have no idea what will happen. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that she knew that she was okay. And so, um, because I don't usually know how to, I don't know how to talk to children other than how to say what is, I said to my daughter, look, things might get really, really bad. Like, things could be horrible under Donald Trump. But we're going to be okay. Same thing I said at the start of this sermon. You don't have to be afraid. Not because there's nothing to be afraid of. Not because there aren't bad things in the world. Not because there aren't people who will not like you just because of who you are. Not because there are people who will not want to harm you. But because you are God's child and you will be okay. We will always be okay. Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy following you is not contingent upon and does not mean good things, happy, warm, fuzzy things will happen to you all the days of your life. Goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives means that we have a good shepherd who leads us into rocky, dry, desolate places and then prepares green pastures for us to eat. It means that we have a good shepherd who leads us into those dry, desolate, rocky places, those places that are not safe, those places that have real-life danger, and then prepares us to be the people we need to be so that we are not only ministered to, but we can be ministers to other people. Goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives means that we serve a God who is sovereign and unchanging. 
So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to look at the world and look at our neighbors as if now there's something new and ugly. We have, the ugly was always there, but I assure you, you have some ugly too. God's goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives means that the sin, the unrighteousness, the festering wounds that are this country's legacy have bubbled up to the surface and we can see them. But we have a God who says, by my stripes, you are healed. And so his goodness and his mercy is with us today. His goodness and his mercy will be with each of us as we deal with family members who have acted in ways that are unloving. His goodness and his mercy follow us into those conversations that we don't want to have with coworkers. His goodness and his mercy will follow us as we try to figure out what we do now in terms of our immigration status or refugee status. His goodness and his mercy follow us into dark spaces. But we are not alone and we are not forsaken. And even in those spaces, there is green pasture and there is still water. We are provided for. So in the words of Kendrick Lamar, who quoted the words of every black grandmother who has ever lived on this continent, we going to be all right. I walked around my house singing that song like all week long. We going to be all right. We truly, truly are. And so my prayer for us in the community, um, very practically and very tangibly, is for us um, to keep our eyes open. Uh, we live in a community with people. Um, we are in a church with folk who, who struggle. We live in a city with people who I know have real felt anxiety. Like there are people who woke up on Wednesday and the first thing they could do as soon as business hours started was, was to call their immigration lawyer, attorneys, right, to try to figure out, like, what does this mean for me? There are people who are trying to figure out how do I, like, how do I exist now? What do I do? And so I, I pray that we will be a people, very specifically us, this body, will be a space where folk are safe and where we are willing to put our necks out on the line for people who need someone to put their necks out on the line for them. And then I also pray that we will be a space where we can have some very real conversations. Because there's a lot of nice things that we say to each other. There's a lot of ways that we have learned to talk about race and around, about immigration. I have heard some of the ugliest thing, things said about immigrants from um, people of color. There are a whole lot of, of black folk right now who, um, again, whole lot relative. There are a number of black people who voted for Donald Trump and who thought that his stance on immigration was fantastic. They're threatening my job. Why do I care? So we can't pretend that the ugliness that's out there is just ugliness. You know, there's, there's these ugly white people who are doing things to, you know, minority folk. There's ugliness in all of us. And I, I pray that we will be able to have some very real conversations about who we are, um, who we literally are in this room and then who we are as a people of God. I am completely non-anxious about what will come. And at the same time, I am completely convinced that what will come will not be you know, roses and rainbows. So if Donald Trump turns out to be a fantastic president, I, I will be the first one. You will be able to knock me over with a feather. 
But I'm not anxious and I'm not afraid because God is good. God is good. And we're going to be okay. So I'm going to pray. That's all I can say this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray now specifically for for children in our congregation and in this country in general. I don't know how I would be a teacher today. I don't know how you how you might talk or speak against some of the ugly kind of taunting things that children can say and do to each other, given who we have decided we wanted to lead us as a president. And so I'm praying for um, that you would give wisdom to parents, to teachers, to principals, um, to youth workers, to aunties, to uncles. I pray that you would be giving wisdom to all of the adults who have the, the privilege of interacting with young people. Help us to have honest conversations with them. Help us to to guide them through this process. I pray that they would not be afraid. God, you are such a big God, but I pray that you would be small for them. That you would be small enough for um, any child who is fearful right now. Any child that is the child of, of, a, of an immigrant or a refugee or a Muslim person, a w- Muslim woman who wears a hijab, any child who is looking up at their, um, their parents and sensing their anxiety, Lord, I just pray that you would be small enough for that child to just experience and understand and that you would be present with them. I'm praying for our families, Lord. I pray for for families where the divisions that are, are so, have been made so clear in our country are personal. Lord, I don't, I don't know what those conversations will sound like. I don't know what that healing process will look like. But I pray, God, that you would bring healing. I pray that you would bring peace. I pray that you would bring understanding. I pray that you would create opportunities for conversations. I pray for each and every one of us who find ourselves in that position that we would not shut ourselves off from those people who have offended, those people who have hurt us. Lord, please help us to be Christ-like in this situation. You were wounded for our transgressions. There was nothing, there was no indignity. You were not willing to suffer for us. And you never closed yourself off. You never said, I won't do it. Enough is enough. God, so please Let that be our posture. Even in the midst of our pain and our hurt, I pray, God, that you would give us a measure of grace so that we can hear one another and so that we can speak our own truths unapologetically and unafraid. God, I pray for our church. I thank you that the scales from many of our eyes have fallen. And I ask that you would allow us to see very clearly what you would have us to do in this space and in this time. Lord, if you are calling us to be politically engaged, then I pray that you would speak that clearly and you would direct us. If you are calling us to engage with our neighbors in very tangible ways, Lord, just reveal yourself and your plan for us and help us to stay on our faces before you. God, I thank you. 
thank you that you don't allow our lives to be easy. Because the truth is that if our lives were easy, many of us would never seek you. If our lives were easy, many of us would never know what it feels like to be desperate for you. So I thank you for trials. I thank you for wilderness. I thank you for rocky, dry, arid spaces. I pray, Lord, that in this space we would seek your face. That we would be longing for the presence of our shepherd. Lord, there are ways that you have formed and fashioned each and every one of us. There are things that you have called us to. Help us in this season to take up the mantles you have given us. To stop resisting you, to stop resisting your call, to stop resisting your leading. Help us, God, to walk fully into the things you've called us to. Because they are needed for such a time as this. So, Lord, we surrender this church to you. We surrender ourselves to you. And God, it is my prayer that the entire church, your body, would be submitted to you. Make us one, Lord, in your spirit. Mend our broken places. Help us to be a people who call upon the name of the Lord and are not content with false idols. And we do confess that sin, Lord. We have absolutely worshipped false idols. We have absolutely looked for our salvation in, in things that are not you. I thank you that you have reoriented us. Thank you for your, for your blood. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name. this place knowing that the Lord is your shepherd he leads you beside green pastures he leads you beside still waters he restores your soul goodness and mercy followed you in here goodness and mercy will follow you out of here goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you that you have called us and made us a people. And so Lord, send us from this place, the people of God. Send us from this place, reflecting your light, the good news of your gospel, that you are a God that sits high, that came down low, that died for our sins, that loves us, that dwells with us that protects us Lord God so let us be ministers today of your gospel let us be ministers this week of your gospel as we interact with people as we have conversations Lord we pray that you would order our tongues that we would speak according to your will 
that you would order our thoughts, Lord, that you would order our hearts. Let us be surrendered to you in all that we do, unafraid and unashamed to proclaim the name of the Lord. Let us go from this place in the power of the Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.